All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, let's get started. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll gather our spots as you grab your coffees and your donuts and your cakes and all that stuff. Uh, we'll get started and uh, let's, um, let's pray uh, to begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for your grace and for your mercy, O oh Lord. We thank you, dear God, for another day of life that you've given us, uh, a fresh new set of opportunities, dear God, to bring glory to your name. And Father, we thank you, dear God, for these are mercies that you give us, O oh Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you, O oh Lord, for uh, allowing us to gather together uh, here to th- this morning. We thank you, dear God, that we can be encouraged by brothers and sisters of the same faith, of like-mindedness, dear God. Uh, thank you, dear Lord, that we can be uh, not only encouraged, but, uh, but held accountable uh, by brothers and sisters, O oh Lord, uh, that will lovingly seek to, to, uh, to speak into our lives, dear God, as uh, correct, dear Lord, dear Lord in, in loving ways. So, Father, we thank you, O oh Lord, for this time that we have together to be in your word. We pray, dear God, that you would minister your word faithfully as you always do, O oh Lord. I pray, dear God, that you would use my preparation and uh, my mouth, dear God, to, um, to speak the truth from your word, O oh Lord. That it wouldn't be my words that proceed uh, forth in this place, dear God, but words that uh, are inspired from you, O oh Lord. Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would take our thoughts captive this morning. I pray, dear God, that you would be with this Sunday school class this morning, and that we, ultimately the name of Christ would be magnified and glorified. I pray, dear God, that you would be with the other Sunday school classes as well, O oh Lord, even for our uh, kids, dear God, that you would take their attentions captive this morning, that, dear God, you would uh, pour into hearts, O oh Lord, and that, um, and that uh, in the service as well, O oh Lord, that you would be with Pastor, that you would... Uh, fill him, dear God, uh, with, with words from above, O oh Lord, that they would fall on, on good soil, dear God, this morning for the glory of your name. So, dear God, uh, be uh, magnified and glorified. Bless this time that we have together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, well, I'm excited to, uh, to be here with you this morning, and um, we're in chapter 15. It's up on the screen. Um, of repentance unto life and salvation, and um, we're going to be talking about repentance today, all right? So I'm not going to uh, give a recap of the first 14 chapters, uh, as I famously would, but today we're going to kind of jump in, but what I am going to tell you is, uh, if we're looking at chapter uh, 15, uh, we see here the, uh, the points from the confession here. And we've got one, two, three, four, five points. So what I want to do this morning is I want to spend some time just reading through them. I'm not going to cover a single one of them today. All right? Next week, we'll cover the points. Today, what I wanted to do was lay a foundation for what is repentance. I think that it's, repentance is one of those things that as you grow up in the church, as you sit in Sunday school, as you watch your, your theologians on YouTube, or you hear a pastor preach, etc., uh, it's one of those things that you would consider sort of basic, uh, basic doctrine, right? Repentance. But I think we need to really think about what repentance is and how, and how it, uh, it plays a role uh, within what we would call the order salutis, in, in other words, the order of salvation. So if we take salvation, which is one thing, and we sort of dissect it and break it down into all its uh, different components, repentance would be in there. Now, I want to start by asking a question. And I, what the question that I want to ask is, does repentance save? Does repentance save? We're going to discuss this morning, so go ahead and just feel free to anyone that might want to answer. Does repentance save? No. It does not save. Anyone else have opinions? Yeah, I'm going to say yes, because I'm going to say that there's no belief which saves apart from repentance. That it actually goes hand in hand. Like for me to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I already have to have... 
mind change. I have to agree with something that God is right. I have to agree concerning myself and His attorney, and I believe up to that. So that's how I would say. I would say maybe generally in itself, no, but because okay. it's directly linked to belief, and we can't have belief apart from repentance. And I think that's the problem the church got recently. So yeah, it's, that's it, my three cents. The, the three <laughs> Mike's three cents. So you're both right. You're both right, and it's not a cop-out, I promise. Right? Uh, you're both right in the sense that repentance in and of itself, right? and I'm talking about the, the act, right? we're going to define repentance, and then we're going to read this through, and then we're going to unpack repentance today. Right, so today we're just going to leave here with an understanding, God willing, uh, of, 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 true, of what true repentance looks like, what it is, and then we can read of repentance unto salvation, when we read the, the, the points here, we're going to know what we are talking about. So we're kind of defining the terminology, and then we're going to go through next week and unpack the points, all five of them, and, and, and then we'll, we'll be done that way. But yes, they're both correct. Uh, repentance, as DJ says, repentance by itself, right? Repentance by itself is not a saving act. Right, I'm trying to, to, to continue without giving the definition yet because the definition is the whole point of today's study, right? So, um, so repentance itself is not salvific. It is part of everything that Mike said. In and of itself, it is not something that will save you, but it is part of that saving work that God does through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, right? uh, uh, through what Christ has done for us. It is part of the saving grace uh, that God bestows upon the elect, those that are believers, right? Saving grace that God gives us. So, let's start by reading the points through. I'm going to read them through for the sake of time, uh, so that we can get in here. But let's read the points so that I like to read things, and then go back and get the definitions for them, and then read them again. So, today we're just going to do the initial reading. Then we're going to discuss what repentance is, and then we're going to step into the points next week, having that full understanding of what repentance is. And I'm the kind of guy, I'm a little, you know, dumb sometimes, that the first reading, I don't get it. Then somebody explains, oh, that's what that word means. You read it again, and it's like, wow, it opened up, right? So let's do that. So if you have your, your books, uh, your booklets, or you've got the website open, founders.org, uh, 1689 Confession. Let's read the first, uh, the, all the points here. All right, so point number one in chapter 15. Repentance of repentance unto life and salvation. Now, before I even get started reading, it's very interesting to note, Dave, what was the title of your chapter? Saving faith. Saving faith, right? Notice it does not say saving repentance. Interesting. It says... In the original, sort of old English language, it says, of repentance unto life and salvation. And we're going to see that that title, that little distinction there, makes a lot of sense. Now, you have it in the modern, repentance to life and salvation. All right? So notice that. Keep that in mind. Let's read this. Point number one, paragraph one, says, Some of the elect are converted after their early years, having lived in the natural state for a time and served various evil desires and pleasures. God gives these repentance to life as part of their effectual calling. <clears throat> God gives these repentance to life, there's our word repentance, to life as part of their effectual calling. Uh-huh. Let's read paragraph 2. There is no one who does good and does not sin. We know that from Scripture, right? From 1 John, uh, even Christ said it. Uh, why do you call me good? There's no one that does good. There's no one who does good and does not sin. Even the best may fall into grace. It's funny, we read this. The best, we think of ourselves. Oh, yeah, I sin. Right? We lump ourselves into the best. Even the best may fall into great sins and offenses. Through the power and deceitfulness of the corruption in them. Now, we're talking about saved people, right? But it's through the power and deceitfulness of the corruption in them, along with the strength of temptation, varying strengths of temptation. Interesting. Therefore, 
God has mercifully provided in the covenant of grace, we'll unpack that next week, that believers who sin and fall will be renewed through repentance to salvation. There's our word again, repentance. And that believers who sin and fall, that might be like, whoa, what's that? We're going to talk about that next week. Kind of just gaining the, uh, the interest here right, for next week. Uh, I want you to be excited so that you come next week. All right, so renewed through repentance to salvation, okay? Point three, this saving repentance, okay, so we just talked about that. Why isn't that called saving repentance, etc.? But this saving repentance, notice we have a process already in the first, a definition in the first two points. This saving repentance, in reference to what we just discussed in the two points, this saving repentance is a gospel grace in which those who are made aware by the Holy Spirit of the many evils of their sin, by faith in Christ, humble themselves for it with godly sorrow, hatred of it, and self-loathing. Wow, are we self-loathing? Are we loathing ourselves for our, over our sin? They pray for pardon and strength of grace and determine and endeavor by provisions from the Spirit to live before God in a well-pleasing way in everything. Okay, so you loathe your sin, and you endeavor, and through prayer, uh, you seek to live a life before God in a well-pleasing way. Paragraph 4. Repentance must continue throughout our lives. Have you ever considered that? That repentance must continue, right? If, if we lump repentance just as, and we equate it to salvation, then you think, I just have to repent once, and I'm done. But repentance must continue throughout our lives because of the body of death and its activities. So it is everyone's duty to repent of each specific known sin specifically. All right? Lord, forgive me for my sins. Repentance, uh, this says, but repent of each specific sin specifically. Right? Uh, prayers that we cannot utter here in front of, in front of each other. Right? These are prayers between you and the Lord where you confess and repent your sins. Right? Now, point five, God has made full provision through Christ. Now, we read about this uh, in Ephesians with the youth. We went over that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Nothing is lacking in Christ Jesus. Right? God has made full provision through Christ in the covenant of grace to preserve believers in their salvation. <coughs> Thus, although there is no sin so small that is undeserving of damnation. This is very interesting, this fifth point. There's no sin so small that it's undeserving of salvation. Took my friend's lollipop, when, you know, in kindergarten, and I stole it from them. Right, deserving of damnation. That's what this is saying. Yet there is no sin, and praise God for this. Yet there is no sin so great that it will bring damnation on those who repent. And praise God for that. This makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. All right. So we read that. The key thing to know now is what is repentance. So. Uh, we talked about uh, whether repentance was saving or not, if, if you're saved by repentance. But what is repentance? Now, it's interesting and important to know that a lot of these confessions, a lot of these confessions uh, were tweaks or responses or expanded upon previous confessions. Right? Can somebody name a confession that's not the uh, Baptist confession? Anybody? Couple, Sean? Heidelberg. Heidelberg Confession. Or the Westminster. The Westminster Confession. There you go, DJ. That's what I want to talk about here. Uh, some of these, are, uh, including this one, is an expansion or clarification or just a point of, uh, you know, of, of expanding what was said or adding uh, extra to those confessions to just kind of give more detail here. And one of those confessions is the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession defines repentance this way. It says, and you'll see similar language to what we just read in those five points. It says, repentance is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, okay, having a true sense of your sin, 
and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. So let me read that again because I, I kind of broke it up in a way that might sound confusing. Repentance is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it, sin, unto God with the full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. So it's a true sense of sin, and it's a turning away from it, and turning to God with the endeavor and the purpose of new obedience. I'm going to obey you, Lord, and your commands. And so this definition is part of a larger illustration to help us in understand repentance. Right? So uh, there's an illustration of a tree, and I'm going to kind of see if I can pull that up on the screen. There it is. There's a tree. Who can look at this tree and tell me what components we have to this tree? Roots. We've got roots, okay? What do we have just above the roots, that line there? What do you think that, that represents? The ground. The ground, which is the soil, right? So we've got roots, we've got soil. What other parts do we have? The trunk that goes up, right? And then from the trunk, we've got branches, and the branches give off leaves, and then depending on what kind of, this, what kind of tree this is, it would be fruit, right? All right, so... We're going to have this symbol in our head as we look at repentance this morning and as we define repentance. I think it's a really cool illustration. It's not mine. It's coming from, uh, uh, from, the, um, from the confessions and theologians of the past that have given this as a, you know, I'd love to take credit for this, but it's not me, right? Uh, but it's here to help us sort of understand, right? A tree is a symbol of what? Life, of growth. And we know that trees grow in the ground or in the soil, right? Remember the different soils from the parable of the sower? Right? So we have trees that grow from there. In fact, let's turn to Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9, and we'll read that through. Matthew 13, 1 to 9. And again, for the sake of time, I'm going to be reading uh, these. Uh, I'll try to read them loud and clearly and quickly. And I'm reading in the New American Standard. All right, so you might have that ESV and it might sound a little different. You feel free to point out any notable differences. Okay? Matthew 13, 1 to 9. Right? So talking about soil and how trees grow from soil. Uh, that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got in a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing uh, on the beach. This is Matthew 13, that was verse 1 and 2. Verse 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. What's a sower? It's someone that casts seeds, right? Uh, The sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. Keeping in mind the roots in the trees, right? Uh, But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they were withered away. Okay, they withered away, no root. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus uh, gives us and he explains why he speaks in parables here in the next few verses, and then he picks up in verse 18. So let's go to verse 18. And he explains this parable to us. Now, this is not going to be a full you know, um, exposition of the parable here, but just a reference to it. He says in verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. Right? It's um, Praise God that we've got Jesus himself explaining the parable to us. Right? He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes what? 
unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So here it is. The, the parable of the sower is, uh, is uh, a lot of it, you think of the seed, but it's more about where the seed falls. It's about the soil, really. Right? So we're going to talk about this soil. And in this illustration of the shorter catechism with this tree here, the, what the soil represents, can everybody tell me what the soil represents? The regenerate heart. Yes. The regenerate heart. We talked about regeneration. Right? Can somebody tell me what regeneration is? Just that we're not moving. Uh, you know, it's, I don't like getting definitions when the definition includes that word or you don't understand the other words in the definition. You're like, great, thanks. I know less than I knew before, right? So the soil represents the regenerate heart. What is regeneration? That's a, it's a pretty big statement, but I'm looking for like the small, the small answer. I think we know what it is. Say again? New life. All right, when does that happen? That happens when... Holy Spirit. God does the Holy Spirit. Right. The Holy Spirit, we read, right, we're dead in sin and trespasses. The Holy Spirit gives us life, right? Kind of think of creation. God, uh, you know, man didn't have life until God breathed his breath upon him. Same thing with salvation. Lazarus, right? Lazarus in the tomb, come out. What did Lazarus need? He needed life first to respond to the call of Christ to come out of the tomb. Those that are going to be saved need the work of God by grace, right? By His sovereign decree, the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual life. That's the rebirth, right? Regeneration is a heart that's been uh, given life, turned from stone to flesh. We would hear in Ezekiel, and uh, is now alive and can respond, right? So, in terms of the soil, the regenerate heart, it's soil that has been tilled. Right? That can now respond to planted seeds, etc. That now dead soil that has been made fertile and can now respond uh, to seed. So the soil represents the regenerate heart or a heart, a uh, soil that's tilled from death to life by the power of the Holy Spirit directed by God's sovereign decree. Peter, after explaining the vision of the sheet with the food, Right? Remember that? The, the vision with the sheet with the, all the animals on it and he said don't call unclean what the Lord has called clean. Read about that in Acts 15 to 18. In fact, let's go there real quick. Acts 11 15 to 18. I'm going to read it. And again, I'm moving quickly with the verses. Uh, but Acts 11, 15 to 18 it says, and as I began to speak the Holy Spirit fell upon them as he did upon us at the beginning. This was after he's, he's explaining that vision to those that he's talking to. Right? This isn't the vision himself. This is afterwards. And he's explaining how he had seen this vision and what he understood in terms of Gentiles and Jews. Right? That they are not unclean. That God has also a plan of uh, salvation for the Gentiles. He says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. So we see here that salvation is preceded by work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could st stand in God's way? And it says, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to this Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. That's what our chapter is called, of repentance to life and salvation. All right? So we see here that it's the work of the Holy Spirit that tills the heart, the soil of the believer. And that soil becomes fertile. That is regeneration. Right? We are regeneration. It's kind of like a regenesis, a recreation. Roman talks about the saved believer as a new creation. Yes? All right. So, uh, so we know that the soil represents the regenerate heart. So we could say here, just making a parenthesis, if the soil represents a regenerate heart, and we know that God 
sovereignly decrees who's going to be saved, and you cannot be saved without regeneration. This is that process, right? Regeneration, repentance, <coughs> turning to God. I'll be right there, DJ. Right? We could say that election was God predetermining the plots of land or soil that would be his, or that would be fertile, that would be saved, just as he did in creation when he said, sprout vegetation here. Uh, he will toil it, which is regeneration, spiritual life. Salvation begins in the human life and regeneration there. At a day of his choosing, uh, the soil is now alive and can hold life. A seed can now live in that soil. Right? Remember the parable of the sower. DJ. Well, that, that's exactly where I wanted to go. Quickly, to clarify, your illustration is talking about regenerate hearts. It sounds like because... Jesus is talking also about people who did not understand the word, mm-hmm. that that soil is not necessarily regenerate. Right. Exactly. Okay, so... That's exactly the point. Because you keep saying that it's regenerate. The soil, the soil represents a regenerate heart. Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. In this example here, right? Uh, and, and so uh, I think you're saying that people didn't understand the word, but let's remember how we understand the word. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit, right, that we understand the Word. The Holy Spirit has to do a work in us before we can respond to the Word of God. Right? Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand. Right? Okay. Uh, so, uh, let's continue to read. So, repentance represents the root of this tree. So, as you look up there, you'll see that there's a set of roots uh, kind of it seems to break off into two places here. And that is repentance. Repentance is root of this tree. So where is repentance rooted? In the regenerate heart. Okay? Try to keep up with the... I should have had an illustration that had it marked up there. Whatever. The soil is the regenerate heart. And roots uh, form in that regenerate heart. The function of the roots of the tree. Can somebody explain? What, is, what does the roots of a tree do? It feeds the tree. Feeds the tree, so it nourishes, right? Right? Anything else? It gives it stability. Gives it stability. If that root was really tiny, that tree would be like, you know, fall over, etc. Right? So, so we see here, it, it's for nourishing of the tree. It, it draws the, 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 the water and the nutrients from the soil, right? The fertile soil, so that the tree can, can grow. So it gives... Uh, it draws life-giving water found in the soil. It transfers the nutrients from the soil to the tree so that it can grow. And so there are two things that this illustration here in the Shorter Catechism would tell us that comprise the roots of repentance. So two things. Here we go. Now we're looking at our illustration. The roots are comprised of two things. One is a true sense of sin. Remember the definition that we read? It's a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin. So when we talk about repentance, the first component of repentance is a true sense of your sin. Now here is where we can see an altar call and watch a hand go up and watch somebody walk forward, etc. And we make many conclusions that we cannot humanly make and that we should not Humanly make. Right? Repentance is a true sense of sin. So uh, let me just interject here. We just finished the book of Ephesians with the youth. And we talked about walking in a manner worthy of, 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 uh, of our calling, etc. And we talked about, as, as leaders these last couple of weeks, gave testimonies and, 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 and devotionals about their lives and what Ephesians meant to them in, in, in their life. How, how, you know, what parts of Ephesians... Uh, spoke to their heart. We talked about uh, being saved. And we talked about, hey, can you remember the day that you were saved? And sometimes we, we think of it as the day you raised a hand, you said a prayer, etc. Uh, but uh, we know that repentance is part of salvation. You repent unto life and salvation. And one of the things that I tried to drive home with the youth is that in my life, uh, I perhaps can't narrow it down to a day, though I remember I was at a youth retreat. Uh, it's back Ray Cabrera was there. And he was uh, sharing the word and all that. But one of the things I 
remember about being saved, born again, was understanding the weight or the burden of my sin. Right? There's a burden of your sin. That it, brings to, it brings to mind the, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. Right? You're carrying this burden of sin, this weight of sin that bears down on you. And so if you're going to repent, if you're coming to Christ, number one, you have to have a true sense of sin. If you don't believe that you're a sinner, if you don't believe that you carry a burden of sin, then what need have you for a Savior? What need have you to humble yourself? Right? It's almost like the rest of that process of salvation is irrelevant to you. Because I, there is no offense, I'm good. Right? And so let's turn to Acts 2.37 to 39. And here, Peter is giving that sermon, right? Acts chapter 2, we know what happened. Christ ascended. Uh, we know that uh, uh, the apostles, um, uh, you know, we have the, in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came. Uh, and Paul addresses the crowd after they're being accused of being drunk for speaking in tongues, and etc. And Paul gives a, a long, uh, a, a lengthy sermon here. And he explains them in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 39. He says explains to them that who Christ was and that you have crucified Christ, right? And it says here, now when they heard this, they were what? Cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. Mine says pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Alright? So he explains to them, and for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. So here is the preaching of the Word. Here is the presenting of the Gospel. And then we have a piercing of the heart. Can you imagine being pierced through the heart? What physically, what that would... You know, words have a significance, right? They have a corresponding meaning. And so being pierced through the heart kind of has a, a, a pretty deep meaning there, right? It's, a, it's, 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 it's sorrowful, it's, it's, it's painful. It, there's a sense of almost, uh, I don't want to say doom, what's the word? Like a, like a mortal sense, right, of, of death uh, in you. Deep wounding, deep wounding exactly. Uh, Luke 15, 21. We know Luke 15 very well, right? The prodigal son. The prodigal son in Luke 15, 21, we know the story. But in verse 21, uh, the son says to the father, uh, when he comes back to the father, he says, The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see that humbling there, right? Why? Why was he humbled? Because he had a true sense. He realized the offenses that he had committed against not only his father, first and foremost, heaven, and his father. So his repentance here is he had that true sense of sin. I'll give you one more example. I think it's in the Psalms. I think the Psalms... Psalmist recognizes it well here. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 5. I love this psalm. Psalm 51, 1 to 5. I'll read it quickly. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Wow. Talk about... Th this psalm would not have been written if there was not a true sense of sin. There was not a recognition of the sin in our lives. Now, we can hear, oh, true sense of sin. And we can be so, I don't want to say jaded, but we can be so desensitized to it because we know repent and trust in God and believe, repent and turn, uh, turning from sin toward God. And we kind of know the formula and we know everything and we can sometimes fail to realize 
the sin that the psalmist says here is ever before me. Understand, this is not an undoing. We read this in the points, right? There's no sin. We cannot sin our way out of salvation, right? We cannot sin our way. Our sin is not more powerful than the blood of Christ on Calvary's cross. There's nothing more powerful than that. But there's a humbling that needs to happen that we realize that on this side of the cross, we continue to sin. And so we should not trample on the cross of Christ thinking that, hey, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want because I'm saved. I cannot lose my salvation. No, but that is not evident of true sense of sin. It's not evident. It's not in bearing fruit bearing with repentance, right? As we, as we uh, heard from John the Baptist. But this psalmist says, my sin, my iniquity uh, ever are before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. Sounds a lot like the prodigal son here, right? And done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Wow. Uh, we don't like to hear about sin, but it is beautiful. Understand what I'm saying here? It is beautiful to acknowledge your sin before the Lord because when you acknowledge your sin before God, you are acknowledging the holiness of God and His perfection. And so if we take anything out of today, uh, let's, let us learn to acknowledge our sin before God. All right? So we have a true sense of sin. So the roots are comprised on the left side here. It doesn't matter what side. I'm just kind of focusing us. The left side of the roots are a true sense of sin, a weightiness, a burden of sin. The second half or the right-hand side of the roots here are comprised of what our definition from the shorter catechism is, is an apprehension of the mercy of God. Does that sound weird to you? Apprehension. What does apprehension mean? Fear. Okay, fear, right? <clears throat> Anybody know apprehension? Give it a shot. Hesitant to get into it. Hesitant, that kind of goes in line with the fear, right? Like a, kind of like a fear, etc. There's another way to understand apprehension. Sort of. You think of like a, a criminal that was apprehended by the police, right? Grasping. Grasping. Man, DJ. I feel like uh, DJ's a, a, a walking uh, thesaurus dictionary here, right? <laughs> so let's, let's look at a definition of apprehension. So apprehension is, and again, it's like DJ read my notes, maybe. No. Maybe when John came over here to put this down, he saw it and... <laughs> apprehension. Oh, I just lost my place. Oh, here we go. Apprehension. One, anxiety... Or fear that something bad will happen. I have an apprehension about this. Right? I'm not going to... I don't want to step outside that door. I have an apprehension that a basketball is going to hit me in the face. As soon as I walk out that door. Right? But the other definition where Joey was leading to is... uh, Understanding or a grasp of something. Right? So there you go. So we're going to have, we're, we're, definition two applies here. An appreh- so one was a true sense of sin, and two is an apprehension of the mercy of God. An understanding. I grasp that there is mercy, that there is forgiveness in my God. This is the beautiful part of this illustration. Right? I've got a true sense of sin. I've committed adultery. I've lied. I've murdered, let's say. I've done all these things and I, 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 I have the burden, I have the weight of the sin is ever before me, the psalmist says. But I understand that there's forgiveness in God. There's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. There's, I can find mercy at the foot of the cross. How beautiful is that? Right? that even, even for those of us that, are, that we're saved, and we sin, and we still, God still chastises. He says He disciplines those He loves. But that we know that we can turn from that sin because we do sin, and we all have a sin in our life, or a couple sins in our life, or many sins in our lives that we still struggle with. 
But hopefully we're, we're repenting from that. We're turning and we know that we can find mercy in our Savior. Right? And so let's read some examples about the apprehension of the mercy of God or the understanding. I want to say it that way from now. Now that we've used it, I'll substitute the word so that we don't get confused. Somebody walks in late or something. The understanding or the grasping that there's mercy in God. Joel 2. Chapter, uh, Joel 2, 12 to 14. Again, I'm sorry that I'm reading these, but I'm just trying to cover a lot of ground quickly. Yet even now declares the Lord. This is Joel 2, 12 to 14. And these are beautiful verses. I, I hope that as I read these, I got teary-eyed because I just felt my sin. And then I feel the beauty of knowing that there's a mercy in God. Right? Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. There's that self-loathing, that, that suffering for sin. Joel 2. Joel. 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 No, no, I'm sorry. Joel. Joel. Yes. Joel. Listen, at least, at least we consistently heard the incorrect thing, so that's good. All right. Joel. Joel. Two. I was going to say as in Osteen, but we don't want to use that. Here. Verses 12 and 13. Chapter 2. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Even a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Uh, 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 offering for the Lord your God. So we see here, turn to the Lord. Right? Confess your sins, turn to Him because He's slow and He's full of mercy and He's compassionate. Jeremiah 3.22 The Lord says in this verse, return and He is, return O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Right? Sin. Sin is a, in the life of the saved person is a statement of faithlessness. Why? Because it's the not believing that God will discipline. It's a belief that, you know what? I'm going to do this. At that moment that you sin, you have made yourself sovereign over yourself. And you chose that sin because if you truly believed that, you, that God would punish you for it, if you truly saw God before you, standing on, you know, sitting on His throne, you would think twice about that sin. And so your faith was diminished and your faith in the pleasure of that sin and the gratification of that sin was enhanced. Right? So return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Isaiah 55.7 is a verse. This is the verse that, that moved me as I studied this. And again, it's because of you, you see your sin before you, ever before you, like the psalmist says. Isaiah 55.7. Listen to how beautiful this verse is. I hope it has the same impact it had on me. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. There's an abundance of grace, an abundance of pardon. We serve a compassionate God who can abundantly pardon our sins. The most amazing illustration of this was uh, of this true sense of sin and an apprehension of mercy, both of them together, was in that parable of the prodigal son. What did the prodigal son say? He said, verses 17 to 20, we're not going to read that in Luke 15, but he said, I have sinned against heaven and my Father. Right? So we have that, that, that when he come, came to his senses, right? he says, I've sinned against my Father, I, 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 I'm not worthy to be called his son, but, what does he say? I will go 
to my father. And that's for forgiveness. Maybe he'll receive me as what? A hired hand. So he had weightiness of his sin, a true sense of his sin that he committed before his father, but he knew the fact that he's having this dialogue, this inner dialogue, that he says that he's going to get up and go to his father, is a, a realization that he would possibly find mercy, that his father is one of such mercy that perhaps, maybe as a hired hand, he would take him back. If he did not have that apprehension, that understanding of mercy on his father's part, he wouldn't have turned to him. Right? So we see that. Right? So our tree here, we have the true sense of sin, we have the understanding of the mercy of God in these roots. I have one minute left. And we've got our trunk. We're, uh, I'm not going to read all the verses here with, with the trunk, but what does the trunk do? The trunk carries is, nutrients. Carries nutrients from the root, right? Uh, it, up to the branches and to the fruit. Uh, it's, it's strength. The trunk breaks through the soil and extends, reaches up, grows towards the light, etc. But we've got our trunk which bursts forth from the soil and it represents the turning from sin, right? So we've got the regenerate heart, repentance that takes root in the regenerate heart, the turning from sin. It grows in the opposite direction of the root, right? So we know that repentance is not just a turning away, but a turning to. So the trunk is twofold. It represents the turning away from sin, but the turning to God. The true sense of sin and the understanding of mercy. It's a turning to God. You could read Ezekiel 18.30, we won't turn, but it says basically repent and turn away from sin that it may not become a stumbling block. So it's repentance, but turning away from it, turning towards God. In the parable of the son, the prodigal son, he says, I will get up, get out of this sin, and I will go to my father, turning towards the father. Psalm 119. uh, Psalm 119, verses 125 to 128. Uh, I'll sum it up. He, he talks about esteeming the commandments of the Lord, esteeming the Lord commands, and he will turn from every false way towards the commands of the Lord, towards the commandments of the Lord. So the trunk represents a turning away from sin, a turning towards God. The trunk doesn't just grow, right? How ugly a tree would be if it was just a trunk up in the sky, right? It'd be a telephone pole. That's what it would be, right? But what does a trunk bring forth? It, it sprouts into branches and leaves and fruit. So the trunk sprouts and grows branches that turn toward heaven, toward God. In Acts 26.20, 20, uh, we, we read here, it says, um, talk about declaring to the Gentiles. It says uh, here, but it says, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent from their sin and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Oh, so now we have deeds that are appropriate Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I picture my father-in-law, John the Baptist. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance in the passion play. Right? That's a good impression. That was pretty good. Uh, so, the branches are turning towards God. We've got the trunk that shows the, the, the 180. The branches that are growing towards God. And they produce a fruit, which is what? The good works. Right? The deeds in keeping with repentance. Uh, so, we see here... Um, that repentance is not just repentance leads towards obedience. And that, that is the fruit of the tree here. That is the fruit that comes from the branches and the stems. So a true sense of sin uh, and an understanding that there's mercy of God, the turning from sin, death to sin, life to God, turning towards God. And we have there Fruit that is produced, which is obedience to God's commandments. It truly is, right? Obedience is, the, is, is repentance done correctly. Is it not? Repentance done correctly, it's all first and foremost a work of the Holy Spirit. None of this would be possible without the soil. Right? None of it would be possible without the soil. But we, we repent, we are moved away from our sin towards God because we understand the mercy that we have in God, in Christ Jesus, 
And the fruit of that repentance is obedience. What does that tell us? That when we sin and we repent, the definition tells us that we endeavor after new obedience. Right? So what is repentance? It's a true sense of sin and understanding that there's mercy in God. A turning away from that sin, turning towards God and endeavoring after new obedience. All because of it's a saving, it's a grace from God. Right? It all starts from that source. So now we understand repentance. We're going to read and apply everything that we learned about that in our five points next week. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you, dear God, that we can, uh, because of the work of your Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, that convicts us of our sin. We pray, dear God, that we would feel the weightiness of our sin before you, dear God. We know that we are saved. We know, dear God, that we cannot sin our way out of salvation, but we know that obedience is demanded and required of us. James says, show me your faith by your deeds, by your works. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, dear God, that it illuminate our path, dear God, that we might not stray from the path. Help us, dear God, uh, place in our hearts the repentance from our daily sin. Dear God, that we would confess that to you, that we would realize and understand, dear God, that there is mercy and there's forgiveness daily in our God, O Lord. That we would turn from those uh, sinful acts, that we would turn towards you and that we would bear new fruit, obedience, dear God, to you. That we would not have the need to win the same victory over the same victory over the same victory every day, but that we would have victories once and for all over sins, dear God, and turn towards you. We pray this, O Lord. We thank you, O Lord, for it is all of your grace. And we magnify the name of Jesus Christ and what you have done on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right.